Net-A-Porter presents the Incredible Women podcast, Series 6, Champions of Change. Welcome to the Incredible Women podcast. In this series, we're sitting down with champions of change, women who are leading the charge, really pushing for progress through their work and driving for change for themselves and others. Some of these incredible women you'll already be familiar with and others we're excited to introduce you to. I'm Alice Casely Hayford, Content Director at Netaporte, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Gen Z technologist, inventor, environmentalist, and best-selling author, Kiara Nergin, for this episode of our Champions of Change podcast. I think it gave me the platform to encourage young people to kind of think about solutions to the problems that they're experiencing and the world around them and how that they can change it but they have that power too. From a young age, Kiara was captivated by the world around her, and this natural curiosity has given her the skills to empower and make space for the next generation. Born in South Africa, Kiara won the grand prize at the Google Science Fair when she was just 16 with her innovative solution to the worldwide drought. Now, age 23, she recently graduated from Stanford University and has been featured in Time magazine on its most influential list, and Forbes 30 Under 30, among several other prestigious titles, celebrating her work in sustainability and advocacy for young women in STEM. Since publishing her first book, Youth Revolution, Be the Change, Kiara has worked with organisations such as the United Nations and Malala Fund, in addition to being the youngest member on Google's board. Hello, Kiara. Welcome to the Incredible Women podcast. It is such a pleasure to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Alice? I'm doing well. I'm very excited to be talking to you and a little bit nervous because you're just such a high achiever um, at such a young age. Oh my God, no, (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you too. Great. Well, I think um, for those who don't know of all of your wonder and amazing achievements, to go back to the beginning, well, not the very beginning, but um, to when you were 16 and you won um, the Google Science Fair. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how that all came about and the ingenious idea that you came up with? Before I entered, I was driving with my family down to um, a city from, I'm originally from South Africa, and we were on holiday and I saw both sides of the um, Uh, reservoirs of water kind of on the side of the car when we were driving down um, they were less than half empty and um, it really kind of confused me because I always remembered them being really full Um, and when I saw that I I kind of realized what uh, a drought was and what that meant for um, people around me and then kind of I had that firsthand experience and I started kind of when I went back home, I started researching it and I started getting really curious about what it meant uh, for periods of drought to affect um, my community, but affect people. And one of the biggest um, effects of the drought was on food security. Um, And I started just reading as much as I could for like a 16-year-old about the problem. And I started just becoming this wealth of information about what it meant to experience a drought and what solutions were available. And from there, I started tinkering in the garage and the kitchen. Um, My mom was just confused as to what I was doing the whole time. When we kind of look at food security, you realize that 
um, kind of a crop's ability to sustain life during drought was one of the biggest um, sort of focuses of sort of prior research, but it was never there. And I started kind of picking up on that research and seeing what I could do to improve it and actually create a product that people could create um, in their own communities in a low-cost way. Um, and I ended up creating a low-cost biodegradable polymer to help plants combat drought. That is absolutely phenomenal. What inspired you to sort of fall in love with science or did you have any major sort of influences as to why you turned to it at such a young age? I think I've always been really curious about the world around me. And I I think I realized that the best way to answer those questions was through science. Um, I would look around me and, and kind of ask why things were a certain way, um, but also with the problems that you're experiencing, why um, why couldn't those be solved? And I would continuously ask people around me these questions. And I, I think that they would continuously tell me, um, well, you probably have to go figure those out yourself. And that's why I kept turning to science. And I started realizing that if they couldn't answer the question and if I couldn't answer the question, um, there were tools around me to help me answer that question in different ways. And that was science and, and now technology, which I think is always what fascinated me about um, that space. And well, we'll get into science and technology and how they sort of coexist shortly. But I'd love to hear more about um, what winning um, the Google Science Fair, what that meant for you and how your career, I mean, you're only 16, but what that then meant for you um, going forward and the sort of opportunities that opened up. An incredible amount of opportunities kind of opened up after the science fair. I think, for one, it um, it, it gave me a platform to talk about um, things that weren't just science fair related. I, and I think they were uh, broken into two buckets. I think it gave me the platform to encourage young people to kind of think about solutions to the problems that they're um, experiencing and um, the world around them and how that they can change it, um, but they have that power too. But I, I think also specifically it um, in the other sort of uh, bucket, it was, um, I, I think there's a lot of young girls around the world with different sort of access to resources that not only can't get involved in in kind of innovation and science, but they also lack the sort of understanding that they can have a meaningful contribution. And I think that there's this mindset shift for young girls in, in terms of uh, not only can I feel the need to sort of like, or not the need, but can I feel comfortable in a science class or I can do a science degree versus um, once I get into that company, I can actually lead the company um, or I can lead the project. And I think there's this mindset shift for young women that you don't just belong in the science and technology sector, but you can push it forward. You can pioneer it. Um, and I think those that that mindset shift and then with young people, it, it sort of the science fair gave me that ability to, to talk to both of those. But I think as my interests have could have, uh, sort of Imp, uh, expanded after the science fair, it allowed me to talk about a lot of different things that I'm passionate about, including technology, um, sustainability, which is a big part of what I'm uh, very much focused on in climate change. 
and how the fashion sector can get involved in different ways to to kind of the conversation, which has been incredible. I think what's so wonderful to see um, these areas that you've just spoken about, they have been historically so male dominated. So to see um, not just a woman, but a young woman um, entering into that space and owning that space has been um, such an amazing thing to witness. Have you found it challenging to do so? And have you encountered any prejudice because of your age and gender? If if I would say no, it would be a lie because I think that every time you walk into a room as a young female, um, the, but people automatically think you don't sort of have that background or you don't have that sort of knowledge that you can actually speak meaningfully to a specific like scientific conversation. And I remember when I was, I was pitching for uh, the science fair and it was me in front of a room of uh, I think around 15 judges, they were all around the ages of uh, 30 up until 50, like they had their PhDs. And I was just, and I know my parents were outside and they were just as nervous as I was. And I, I went up there and they put you in the front of the room and it's a very small room and there's a big conference table and they're all there. And I was just standing in the front of the room and for a moment, and they were asking me a bunch of questions and I was answering them. And there was a moment that I realized, like, they probably looked at my project for even a maximum of, let's say, 10 hours. They've reviewed the project. They've, like, read it. But I lived and breathed this project for, like, at least two years. Like, I was the one doing all the the hard work. And so the fact that they could know anything more about what I was doing is completely crazy. Uh, knowing that you have that confidence because you put in the time and you actually know what you're doing because nobody knows it better than you do because um, you created it is is what I think I've always told myself to, to overcome that and, and share what I've done or what I've researched in a meaningful way is because you actually have that background. So you're not kind of like shooting from the hip in, in, in rooms like that. You, you're just as kind of knowledgeable about it. Really, really great wisdom there. But I wanted to go back to your schooling quickly. And I know you overcame serious health issues, which really disrupted your education. What impact did that have on you? A huge one. And I think I, when I was writing my book after the science fair to kind of talk about this in a really sort of in-depth way, I think it completely changed how I saw the world. Um, I had meningitis for, it was bacterial meningitis and I was in the hospital um, for a long period of time. I, I, I missed most of my earlier years of high school. And I think something that I realized was like from an actual sort of like medical standpoint, meningitis is the inflammation of the membranes surrounding the brain and spinal cord. And I remember having this realization that if this is the sort of power of my brain or my mind to endure such like pain, just imagine if I was pushing it in a way that was more meaningful than just sitting in class and absorbing information. Um, and, and it was just a sort of empowerment that I had looking at this sort of illness that I was experiencing that when I kind of went back to school, I compartmentalized in, in certain ways um, which I wouldn't recommend to uh, young people to kind of think school is one thing and then like outside innovation is another. I think you should approach it as kind of 
intertwined, but that's what I was doing. I was kind of uh, doing uh, well in school. Like I was still uh, going to school. I was still like doing well in exams and tests because I was, I was still kind of dedicated to that. Um, but then when I would go home, I would like put two to three hours every day to just reading and understanding problems that I was passionate about, specifically drought, rhino poaching, technology. Um, and I would just start learning. I was this like sponge of information. Um, and after that, I would I kind of go back to school mode the next day and I, w- I would be doing these things. And it, it just it gave me the sense of power because I, I was kind of saying I just recovered from this incredible illness. I almost died. Um, but now I'm kind of tackling things and, and feeding my own knowledge um, versus just having it spoon fed to me by a teacher. And, and I think it kind of completely changed my outlook that I that I kind of looked at what I was learning in school as incredible, but um, my actual contribution uh, was these things that I was doing outside of school. Wow. Well, that is absolutely incredible the way that you dealt with that um, huge, huge challenge and how it really changed your outlook and approach to not only your schoolwork, but your life in general. Um, but you touched on there your book. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, and, and where did the idea come from? I love talking and I love giving sort of speeches um, and I I, I love conversations with different people. Um, People were continuously asking me to to kind of talk about my story. I I think a large portion of innovation and and sort of sharing uh, ideas with the world is communication. So you have to sort of be able to do that in a way that resonates and gets people excited. And um, you, I, I did that for the science fair. I was doing that for different um, projects that I was doing. And I, I realized that if I could just take some time to put this down in a book about my own journey, how I sort of almost died to almost kind of creating uh, a project and a product that essentially solved worldwide drought. If I could just put that down, if there was at least one a young person, if there was at least one young girl in the other side of the world that read this and decided to open up her uh, computer and uh, research something that she was passionate about or start an organization to do something that she was interested in, I would at least have made um, sort of an impact in their life. And I started just writing it down and I um, uh, eventually had it picked up by Penguin Random House, which was um, incredible because like most of my sort of product and projects, I started it with this passion. And then uh, after I got into it, I um, actually saw a path to releasing it into the world. Um, But it was definitely something that I realized was something that could make an impact that was exponentially bigger than what I was doing in conferences or talking to individuals um, or just kind of doing interviews, it was it was something that anybody could pick up at any time and read about um, what it means to create and invent when you're a young person. Amazing. Well, I think that's a really interesting point there because to me, who science initially went over my head, certainly at school, and for a lot of other people, I'm sure around the world, STEM might seem like um, a pretty intimidating and sort of elitist um, space. Um, so what what do you think needs to be done across the industry to kind of make it more accessible and inclusive um, and, yeah, make it an easier space for a more 
broad demographic of people to to enter? That, I, I love that question because I think it's so fundamental to how we bring up young women and, and how they think about the space because I, I remember when I was in school, um, there there's sort of this apprehension to being wrong. I frankly think like as women get older, there's still this apprehension to being wrong. Like before you answer a question, you want to think um, a couple times before giving a shot at the answer. And I I think that that's like such a key difference to how you just think about creation in, in the world and in inventing and then coming up with um, sort of innovation is that if you know from the outset that uh, you have to be right, you're not going to even try. And I, I think that um, being able to teach young women that at a really young age when they're in school, which is uh, you might not be a hundred percent sure of the answer, but you can still put your hand up and try. Um, and I, I, I know that a lot of young uh, boys feel feel very comfortable giving answers, knowing that they're probably wrong, but they'll put it out into the world. Um, and, and so I think having that understanding at a young age for young girls is is so key to to being able to get more of them in science and technology it's, it's just put your hand like just try um you could be wrong you could be right um but being able to contribute is still so meaningful absolutely so in terms of your current projects and what you're working on can you explain a little bit about how science and technology intersect in your work and i'd love to hear how you think the role and significance of technology is really evolving science I I think that's like an incredible question because I I think when I took uh, science and technology as as a kind of uh, when I was in high school I I often thought about it as science and, and and sort of biochemistry are sort of one domain and then technology was a separate one although I was like continuously learning coding when I was young and I was always really interested in it. Um, and, and I think that the intersection of them are so fundamental because I think science is where uh, key improvements are made uh, into the world, but technology is how you iterate, how you test, how you put it out to a greater number of people in a very rapid development cycle. And I, I, I'm just so fundamentally um, passionate about technology and its um, ability to impact so many people that I, I I just think the spaces are so intertwined. Um, and that's why I was so, uh, when I was at Stanford, I, I, I kind of focused on computer science because I, I think that um, technology is the way that impact is really explored and, and kind of given to the world through science. And what, this is a big broad question, I guess, but what's your kind of pie in the sky goal for your career? What is there one sort of key area that you're working towards or are there lots of spinning plates for you? I I really think it's to be able to make um, a meaningful sort of access to technology um, in a way that people interact with it uh, and gain value from it in, in uh, how that sort of improves the world. And, and so what that means is whether that be in sustainability, whether that be in people 
gaining value in artificial intelligence, um, whether that be uh, people's ability to uh, interact with new technology. I think that specific space is something that I'm really passionate about. And I think that the that being able to push the envelope on kind of new technology and the interaction with it, um, that interaction can be applied to uh, sustainability. It can be applied to uh, people's uh, access and, and value that they gain with um, sort of new means of uh, technology that we're seeing every day. And I think being able to contribute to that field in a really meaningful way, is it's sort of human-computer interaction, if if you want to say that, um, being able to push that and and have it ex- um, touch a lot of sectors, whether that be sustainability, climate change, uh, the fashion industry, um, that, that that's what I'm really passionate about. Well, that was actually going to be my next question because we touched on fashion at the very beginning of our conversation. But um, how would you like to see uh, the fashion industry engage more with science and technology? engage is is such a good way to put it versus maybe just interact with it on the side um and i think a lot of companies do and just interact with it in this on, on the side but i think engaging with science and technology is is so meaningful cuz not only can that improve uh one like fundamentally supply chains which i think is so important to uh the the fashion space but i also think it improves sustainability practices, which I think are um, something that companies and brands need to meaningfully understand and, and how they contribute. But I, I think kind of adding to that, there's sustainability and climate change. I often think are uh, pe- people often look at that with fashion as like things that need to be done versus I get really excited about it because um, when when people think about uh, NFTs or crypto, they get excited about those because they're like, this is new and like these are new means to access the industry. Um, but I, I think that if you kind of think about climate change and sustainability as um, new ways to rethink how how fashion and in the industry can fundamentally change, you, you get as excited about it. Um, and I think that um, the way that the industry can engage with science and technology is realizing that we're not um, that that the space is not trying to move you into an uncomfortable position, as opposed to uh, have an open conversation about how you can change and how you can improve. And that's definitely how I look at it when I talk to companies or I talk to uh, people in the spaces. Uh, this is what you're doing, but science and technology are key ways that are not just gonna make things more expensive for you to improve the world, like. They can actually make things cheaper um, in terms of your supply chain. Like there's there's innovations that can that that make sense um, for your company, and I, I think that engaging with it means like having an open conversation about how sort of um, different interests are misaligned and then aligning them. Because I I'm just so passionate about understanding how those things can intersect. And, and you are so passionate and eloquent. And I feel just talking to you now very uplifted. 
um, by your positivity and your energy. It's just absolutely wonderful. But I wanted um, to drill down into where exactly does your motivation, um, I guess, to forge change through your work, where does that come from? Is it something instilled in your childhood or were there particular inspirations throughout your youth? Where where does this wonderful um, motivation come from? I think that ever since I was young, I I think that the motivation has always come from understanding that if um, I have an idea or if I have something that I wanted to put out into the world and I didn't, um, it was, I, I, I want to say it came from this fear. I, I think I realized that um, everybody's contribution, whether that be in science or technology or uh, organization that they start or a young person picking up a book and learning something is that if you're not going to do that, any sort of positive impact that that action could have had on the world is just never going to happen. And I think that always motivated me, um, probably motivates me too much um, at this point. But it, it's always from that like fear that of all the positive impact you could create on people and and community around you. Um that would never exist if you just never try. Amen. Well, you mentioned earlier um, that you love conversations, you love sitting down and talking with people. And I believe you're working on your own podcast. Is that, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I absolutely love talking to people and I love talking to people in uh, different spaces that have the same um, sort of need to put positive impact out into the world, whether that be in sustainability, technology, uh, science, um, or fashion. And so I, I just love to um, have people's stories and conversations and then share more of mine. Um, and so I'm super excited to be working on one right now in the works um, to share it with people and and hopefully get more young and older people excited about um, things that they can do uh, and not be afraid to even try to get started. Young people today are facing so many different challenges. um, And I just wanted to ask you, how are you handling that responsibility? It feels like the onus is on the next generation, but it's a big burden to carry. I've always been like known as a it's called like the local optimist. I, I'm just so optimistic about the world around me. And there's this uh, book um, that, that that I by Hans Rofling. Um, and, and I think something that it talks about is um, how the world is bad, but it's still better than it was in a, in a lot of ways. And And I think that when you open up a lot of sort of news feeds and you and you consume information um you you often feel very uh, like everything's burning um and and I think that that's kind of yes in a lot of cases things are burning but that just means that there are problems that young people can go out and solve and I I just I, I kind of think about it as like uh, when you wake up, you can either be really optimistic to solve problems and and know that you can fail, but you're going to try at least in some way, or you can just read everything that you're reading and just feel bad about it. Um, and I think that as young people, you literally have nothing to gain by making either decision. And so 
by making the first one, you can at least have a positive impact to other people around you. The second one is just going to make you feel bad like the whole day. Well, I'm not Generation Z and I'm not a particularly young person, <laughs> but that is wonderful, wonderful advice. Um, well, actually, yeah, speaking of young people, I wanted to ask, did you feel that you've been at an advantage because we spoke kind of about some of the disadvantages maybe or the challenges um, and maybe feeling intimidated walking into spaces that are often um, taken up by older people, predominantly men. Um, But have you found it has been advantageous in any way being a kind of newcomer? Um, I'd love to hear more about that. I 100% think so. I I just, I love the idea of young people uh, creating or inventing because I I think there's something uh, so exciting about when I was approaching drought uh, and and the problem of uh, what I was trying to solve um, that I entered into the science fair is is I kind of looked at the problem and uh, in a very kind of uh, fresh way because I, I didn't have my PhD. I didn't have this like very long background on all the things that were failing in the space. Um, and I I kind of looked at it from first principles. Um, that's because I just didn't have the background. And I think for me, that was so interesting because I think uh, not necessarily having, uh, again, I think uh, experience and um, it is really important in a lot of spaces. And I think that uh, people that are super researched and and uh, kind of have a background are are incredible uh, sort of wealth of knowledge for us to tap into. Um, but with that being said, I don't think young people can't contribute at all. And I think that they actually contribute in a way that is just fundamentally different um, in a way that uh, you can't really compare it. And and so I, I think it's so special and I think it's so, uh, it, it's what gets me so passionate about trying to get more young people in uh, invention and I in innovation. And uh, when they see climate change and they see the problems that um, it's sort of surfacing in their community, that they can just look at it and, and make a change about it because um, I've done it. There's so many people that have done it too. And if they haven't done it, um, if those problems exist, that means that those really learned and experienced people have not solved them. <laughs> Good point. Um, and so if they did, you would not be experiencing those problems. So I, I always look at it in that way. Well, a very good way to look at it. And my goodness, what a contribution you are making. Who are your champions of change? Who are the change makers that are exciting you? I, I think that there's there's so many. Um, I, I think ones that really stand out is... Um, Anne Wojcicki from uh, YouTube. She founded YouTube and uh, she she kind of is one of the women in tech that I find just incredibly inspiring. Um, and I, I think kind of just pinpointing women in tech is, is kind of few and far between. Um, and so when you're the kind of the CEO of a large tech company like that, I think a lot of people look up to you. Um, and I, I think another one that I've just been sort of honored to work so closely with is Malala Yousafzai from uh, the Malala Fund. I, I've sort of been honored to work with um, them and their organization for a while, especially in terms of inspiring young women um, through a lot of pieces I was able to write and and kind of uh, contributing to um, sort of their uh, corpus of 
work in The Economist and stuff and stuff like that, which has been incredible. I think having a voice like that um, in in the space of uh, the work that Malala does is incredible. And I, I think that she's been somebody that uh, champions change and, and definitely inspires me. Oh, brilliant. Well, that is a wonderful note to end on. You are such an inspiration, such an incredible woman, and of course, a champion of change. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so, so much for having me. I I couldn't have thought of a better way to spend my morning. Champions of Change was brought to you by Netta Porte and Chalk and Blade. Hosted by Netta Porte's content director, Alice Casely-Hayford and fashion director Kay Barron. The team at Net-A-Porter was Katie Barrington as the senior editor, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The producer at Chalk and Blade was Laura Hyde. Original music by Alexis Adamora, and the series was mixed by Nasson De Silva. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review and tell us who your champions of change are.